from the empire of lies. We are a little village of truth, open debate, and free speech. I'm Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. So how are you doing today, Rod? I'm doing good, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I woke up this morning, and Liz Truss was gone in England. To no one's surprised who listens to this show. I'm a little surprised it came so quick, but I'm kind of not. We talked to Ian about this on Monday. It seems like she'd been shut out by Hunt over there. Remember that? Yeah, we spoke about that with Ian, and yeah. So I'm also surprised. I thought at least she would have maybe made it a couple more months. Right, but I'm, I'm not surprised she's gone quickly, but this was very quickly. And in the first hour, to talk about it, Jamal Thomas, co-host of the great show on Sputnik, Fault Lines, with Thomas and Chan. Now, will Jamal be on the phone or in the studio? I believe on the phone. Okay, on the phone. Just wondering, you know, for the video feed. Then in the second hour, our great friend Tyler Nixon. So Jamal and Tyler today. And sh- we're taking people's calls as well. 202-521-1320. And Rod, take us out on the boom. What is the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Now, did you see where President Biden is today? Oh, actually, no, I I missed that one, Lee. He's in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, he's for for Fetterman. Yeah, for Fetterman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he's meeting with Fetterman, and that's going to be a good meeting because neither one will remember it or understands what's going on. But he also went to that bridge. Remember a few months ago, he was touring infrastructure. And he went to a bridge, and the day that he was scheduled to go to the bridge, it collapsed. Yeah, I remember that. Bad omen, yeah. So he's going back to the bridge, which is not a good omen. Do you think Joe Biden is going to help or hurt Fetterman being in Pennsylvania? Uh, neutral to hurt. Um, so he, there's no positives in it, Lee. Uh, again, they've tried to um, – we didn't talk about this, but uh, Jill Biden was at the uh, Eagles game Sunday night versus the Cowboys. You know, that's one of the biggest rivalries in football. And she got booed at the stadium. Uh, you know, the the NBC tried their best to try to make her appearance short as possible. But, you know, ever since Biden ran for president, they tried to make it seem like Philadelphia is his base. He has no base in Philadelphia or even in Wilmington. Yes, and he's got the ability to get a big crowd. They're meeting at a phone booth outside Wilkes-Barre. So I'm not sure about that. That may be fake news. But uh, let's go to the phones. 202-521-1320. The great killer of owls, owl killer, what's on your mind? He doesn't need a base. (laughs) He'll create the base. They'll create the base for him by filling out more uh, mail-in ballots. That, that was, like, that was COVID. That was the whole point of COVID, was that mail-in ballot scheme. And let, let's see if the country has put, you know, states like Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, let's see if they've reined that in. But they, he doesn't need the support. He didn't have the support in 2020 either. 
but somehow we got 850 billion trillion fulfilling votes. So that, that's all that matters. It's he who counts the votes. Fetterman is done. I don't, I don't even know why they're wasting this time. He's, he's not winning whatsoever. Um, they, I, I really, they're, in fact, you actually want him to use that um, machine that he processes words so he's able to respond to. And Tucker hit it out of the park yesterday. Like, what if they're giving him the answers, like if it's prescripted answers for what he's supposed to say back? Like, this is the level that we have fallen to. And I think what you see with uh, the resignation of trust over in um, England, I think it's a symptom of the system is just too sick. It, it can't be, it can't be uh, fixed. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to be right, but I, I have a feeling something major on the geopolitically is about to happen. 44 days, something's not right over there. Where, where? In, in England? In, in England, but I, I don't think it was an English, I don't think it was a UK thing. I think it was a geopolitical thing because maybe she didn't want to be the prime minister when England freezes. Well, she didn't want to be prime minister when no one wants her as prime minister. That's another big factor, too. She's very unpopular. And uh, so, so, so anyway, go, go on, I'll kill her. So I, I really, okay, once again, remember I told you how I, I feel that Drudge is like the new propaganda for, um, like, they say what everybody else is going to be parroting. Well, now there's something on Drudge saying that how Putin ordered a nuke strike, and it was sabotaged by his generals telling him that the that, that there was malfunctions with the, the weapon systems. Okay, if there, it's possible for generals to sabotage something like that, but he would have been taken out right afterwards because the retaliation that he would have against generals that sabotage him. So there's not even thought put into the propaganda, but I don't know what the purpose of that, um, of that story was outside of something happens, false flag or real, and we're off to the races. I, I don't, I, I think that we are at, we're at the, um, we're at, I think we're at the precipice right now. Things can go very, very bad uh, very quickly, especially with the uh, now Russia's going to be doing um, nuclear, uh, nuclear deterrent exercise at the state simultaneous with uh, NATO. I, I mean, I, I, people are not. Although I, I understand those were pre-scheduled. The exercises Russia's doing are on the schedule a long time. That's my understanding. Whether it's whether it's pre-planned or not, the I, I was just listening to in 1983. Do you remember? Um, do you remember the congressman Larry McDonald? He was very. He was a very famous uh, John Bircher. Um, he he was in Georgia and his plane was shot down over Korea because the plane went into uh, Soviet airspace at the time. Not that familiar with him, but go go ahead. Well, if you ever get a chance, go you type in Larry McDonald. He's the guy who actually told Ron Paul to run for Congress. Now, he was a Democrat, but he was a conservative Democrat in Georgia. And Ron Paul asked him, what party do you think I should run with? He's like, whatever party that you can get elected in to get the ideas out. Now, if you can pull up um, the, uh, videos of him being clowned, basically, on different TV shows, talking about the New World Order and... Um, that there's people that want a one-world government. He's talking about the Bilderberg, and that, this in 1980s, where you know very few people even knew the things existed. And 
his plane was shot down as it the Kore- it was a Korean flight. It went into um, it was going into it was Soviet airspace. Well, in 1983, we did a I think it was called Able Archer. Like th- this was just declassified. You can look it up. We were seconds away from uh, nuclear war with Russia. We were seconds away from it. So that, that's what I mean. Like these, the the potential for something bad to happen, especially right now. Um, I believe Sergey Lavrov just re, um just recalled all. Um, he just gave a speech to um, uh, people that wanted to work. You know, wanted to be working in foreign embassies, and he just said, "No, we're we're pulling all our people out of embassies in Europe because uh, Africa, Latin America, and Asia." Um, are better for they're more willing to work with us, and we ba- they're, they're basic the the conditions that they live and work in in these countries. It's you know it, it's not I think the word was like not fit for dogs. So, well, and what you're you're right, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs they're announcing basically new consulates all over Asia, Latin America, and. Uh, the South in general. So you're right. They're focusing where they're going to... They they want diplomats somewhere where they'll be effective, somewhere where the countries practice their diplomacy. But Alcala, let me ask you to hang on to get reaction to a clip. Let's go to the Russell Brand clip first. And so this is a quick clip from the commentator and comedian Russell Brand talking about stuff related to COVID-19. Hit it. As scientists at a Boston lab create a new strain of COVID that kills 80% of the mice they test it on, we ask simply, what are you doing that for? And she had enough COVID. American researchers have developed a new lethal COVID strain in a laboratory echoing experiments that many fear started the pandemic. That's not a conspiracy theory to say that anymore. You're allowed to say that now. The mutant variant, which is a hybrid of Omicron and the original Wuhan virus, yay, supergroup, killed 80% of the mice infected with it at Boston University. That was only five mice, though. The revelation exposes how dangerous virus manipulation research continues to go on, even in the US, despite fears similar practices may have started the pandemic. Professor Shmuel Shapira, a leading scientist in the Israeli government, said, this should be totally forbidden, it's playing with fire. <laughs> like, you don't need to do experiments on playing with fire. But what happens if you actually do play a fire? Oh my God, my lab coat! The Bunsen burner! Oh no! The mice! We've only got two of them! And it's booster season in a minute! Ah! Ah! Delete the file! In the new research, which has not been peer-reviewed... <laughs> that's good. You don't have peers looking over it. Hey, hold on a minute. This is dangerous. A team of researchers from Boston and Florida attached Omicron spike to the original wild-type strain that first emerged in Wuhan at the start of the pandemic. Why on earth would you do that? What if we took the powers of Superman and then gave them to Adolf Hitler? Oh, that seems like a good idea. Should we get it peer-reviewed? Nah, let's just do it. <laughs> ah, my lab coat's on fire. Open the window. But don't tell anybody you did that. Oh, my God. Hitler's out of the lab. Hitler, don't you go misusing those powers. Is he trying to fly, or is that a salute? Tesla, that better not be a salute! He's not learned a thing from last time! 
Where are you going, Hitler? The researchers looked at how mice fared against the new hybrid strain compared to the original Omicron variant. How mice fared. It's not really very nice, is it, to create a super strain of coronavirus and then see how it gets on with innocent little mice. My man is on this new virus. We're going to do our best, guys. Come on, let's try again. Oh, my lungs. My God, I can't draw a breath. Uh, once again, it's new spiky Omicron is the winner. Oh, my Hitler's done what? You bastard! You promised us! You promised us you would not invade Czechoslovakia! Why did we give him the Rhineland? I bow to no one in my love of science and the spirit of experimentation. But if the last coronavirus was bad for mice, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that making coronavirus much worse and then giving it to some little mouses is going to have a negative... Well, what the hell's going to happen here? Maybe these mouses will develop superpowers and we can get them to stop Hitler. Now, Al Killer, I, I want you to not worry so much about nuclear war, but give you something else to worry about. Are you worried about the deadly strain of COVID that's been developed at, in Boston? What do you think about that, Al Keller? Look, the, the real Dr. Fauci, um, there's, a, there's a movie out. I think it's realdrfauci.com. It's for free until yes. the, end of the, the end of the month. It is insane. I heard him, I heard clips in there because um, I'm... There was a part where he's like Bill Gates in 2003, and, and Bill Gates said, why don't we get close? We could be partners. This is a recording of Fauci saying that. What, you know, let's say I was a 44-foot stone owl, and I'm mad that I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting in the woods, and they only hang out with me for two weeks. What if I set something off that people think is a nuke, and it's really a bioweapon, and nobody can communicate because we've taken... We have taken uh, communi- we've taken communications. We own the news. We own the intelligence agencies, and you're just going to believe what we say. And anything else is misinformation because they've already demonstrated that they can censor. And I don't think they've reached their full potential of what they could actually do. I, th- I honestly think that COVID was a was a test case because they did that event 201. I think COVID itself, the response to it, they were seeing how people would respond and how they could. It was a war game. That, that, that's personally what I think, because they have a website called Event 201, and you could read the war game right on there. They're, uh, they, that's what they call it. So what, what if they, you th- they tell us it's a nuclear weapon and it's really a bioweapon, and people think they're dying of radiation, poisoning, stuff like that? I mean, it's not beyond the realm. It's, that is no more insane than trying to make it a virus deadlier after the, what it just did to the, the world for two years. That's, um, that, that theory is no more insane than what the, their ideas of creating this. And, you know, there is white supremacy. It's white lab coat supremacy, because these, these freaks are running our world and they're destroying our world. No, but meanwhile, your kids are going to be safe because you can't get baby formula. Let's play that clip. When you have it ready, hit it. So look, the president and his administration has um, um, has taken actions, as you know, uh, through the last several months uh, to make sure that uh, we have progress to address uh, this current this issue, uh, this issue uh, f- uh, that is 
is currently happening right now and also to avoid any future issues. So does that make you feel more confident, Al Killer? Yeah, just be honest. About as, mu- about as much as, um, you know, you're, you're worried about your gas prices because you didn't abort your kids because that's what Stacey Abrams said, basically. Did you, did you hear that clip, too? I mean, that's the, this. This is the the rationale of. Did, did you hear that? Did you hear her say that? No, I did not. What, what, repeat it. What, what did she say? I don't. I can't give you a direct quote of it, but she basically said that people are worried about their gas prices and abortion, and they're worried about it because they they have kids. So if they were able to abort their kids, they wouldn't be be really worried about gas prices. Tucker played that yesterday too. So. And again, the I, the abortion agenda, the transgender agenda, and this global warming stuff—it's all—they're they, basically just cells of an organization. They don't even know they're working. They, it's really population reduction and it's control. And they all have their own—you know—they they think they're, that their goal is their goal, but and that's what they're focused on. But they don't realize how it comes in, how it, it, it all comes together. Neo Malthusians, and they want neo feudalism. That's that's what we're dealing with. Al Keller, great call as usual. Thanks for the call. So one thing that occurred to me today, Rod, is uh, I, you know, with Liz Truss being out, is how much the U.S. obviously RussiaGate. The reason, look at what countries were right at the center of that. The U.K and Ukraine, right? I've gone over that Australia. multiple times. Australia. Chris, what are you saying? Australia. Well, I'd say more directly, because Christopher Steele and Dear Love are British, were right at the center of Russiagate. And Ukraine, I've talked about many times. It occurs to me more than ever how Russiagate was a setup for this Ukraine war for the conditions that led to it. Because clearly, the UK and Ukraine, part of what Russiagate was doing, it was softening the ground on the anti-Putin propaganda and anti-Russian propaganda. One way to look at the Trump administration, it was four solid years of anti-Russian propaganda. Do you think that's right, Rod? I'll add to that, Lee. If you remember, right before the election, uh, Hillary Clinton was talking about you know uh, her nuclear strike speech, where if Putin uh, launches nuclear missiles, we have only this amount of time to react. So yeah, you're 100 percent right. And you know, I mean, she's the super war hawk. She's the super feminist war hawk. You know, they want to annihilate the whole world. So you know, I 100 percent do believe if Hillary Clinton would have got in, they would have started this thing right off the bat. I, in less than 90 days, we would have been in some type of hot conflict. Right. No, I agree because also 2016 when Trump was elected. If you think about it, that's not too long after. 2014, when they overthrew the government in Ukraine. That's only a couple of years, about a year and a half, actually. Does that make sense? So it was right after the Medan, and they just would have kept that going. And, you know, overthrowing the government of Ukraine and putting a puppet government was the first step in what's happened here. It was the first step in a military threat 
to Russia, putting in a regime, the Nazi regime, but more specifically, the Banderite regime. The Ukrainian nationalists who've been running the government in Kyiv since 2014, when we put them into place. Don't forget, Bandera was also a big issue for Yanukovych. Also, the propaganda you've heard since 2014, you've heard a lot of stuff against Yanukovych. But clearly, one of the things that Yanukovych did was unlike his predecessor who made Bandera a hero of Ukraine, Yanukovych reversed that. So they had to get rid of him and put the Banderites in power. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense, Lee. Um, this, you know, the, the longer we get further away from it, the more the picture grows and the puzzle pieces get put together and we get to see it. And we did dodge a bullet and, you know, hopefully we can get the right the ship just enough to avoid nuclear war. Um, I think, you know, the Democrats are jumping ship and I think the Republicans are going to oust uh, Biden before this gets too uh, too crazy. That, that's well said. The, the further you get from it, the clearer it becomes because other events prove what was going on. And it's no accident that Ukraine was at the center of Russiagate. It's no accident whatsoever. This has all been a move to demonize Russia. And really that started in 2012 with the passage of the Magnitsky Act. Now, the question is, will some Republicans, you know, this relates to England. The problem they've got in England is the economy in England, if you think things are bad here, nothing compared to what they're going through in England. England's economy is a complete mess. Now, if you were a British politician, you could solve the problem very easily. You could say, we're going to reverse course on the British position on Ukraine. And A, they've already said, basically, they're not giving Ukraine more money now because they're out of money. But the other thing you do is you say, these sanctions that we issued on Russia. These were a huge mistake, and they created the economic problems in England. A lot of the economic problems in England come from trying to destroy Russia's economy. So if you're a politician, you would say, I'm not going to do that. And you'd be the only politician in the UK, in Labour, or among the Tories, among the left or the right in the UK system of government, you'd, you'd be the only one talking sanity on Ukraine and saying, we're going to reverse the sanctions and stop trying to sanction Russia and maybe stop trying to treat them as an adversary, even treat them as a trading partner, stop trying to destroy their energy business. And again, Magnitsky goes back to Bill Browder, who became a citizen of the UK. So the US and the UK have teamed up against Russia, and it's worked out very badly for both countries. Agreed? Oh, yeah, it's a disaster, Lee, and it's a continued disaster that 
we have to support we have to support ukraine it's uh we have to support we have to defend their borders not ours but we have to defend ukraine's borders but no one can do that in the uk the newspapers over there are saying stuff like don't you dare stop supporting ukraine they're desperate to keep support for ukraine but the same problem they have we have here although i saw alexander mccorris on the duran recently point out that there is no one in England like Tucker Carlson. Thank God for Tucker Carlson. He's a voice of sanity. And he's as close to opposing Ukraine. I mean, he is opposed to Ukraine, but he's not in favor of Russia. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, Lee. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I'm, I'm guessing Fox doesn't want him to bring any prominent people from uh, Russia on to, uh, you know, clear the position. So I guess it's going to stay like that for a while. Well, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Jamal Thomas from Fall Lines here on Radio Sputnik. This is The Backstory. Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joining us now from the radio spending show, Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Thomas, Jamal Thomas. That's kind of like Bond, James Bond. You see Jamal? Hey. <laughs> Bond, James Bond. I love that. How's it going? Doing all right? Good. How are you doing? I can't complain. Can't complain. It's cold out. But besides that, Okay, for How are you doing? Well, it's colder here in South Dakota. Trust me, I'm fine. Oh, thanks for asking. Now, Jamal, you are a keen observer of British politics, having been been to England a number of times, including recently. Right? You were in England what about three, four weeks ago? Yes, uh, perfectly right. When Liz Truss took a job, what, what, 44 days ago? Um, I was there watching. I was there talking to the public itself, getting their taste about it or getting their feel for it, checking the temperature in the room. And I got to be honest, the temperature in the room back then wasn't, put it this way, there wasn't this high expectation for trust. Uh, being a trust didn't have the trust of the population itself. I mean, for one, she was only voted in by what, 100,000 and plus, give or take. I think it's a little bit more, but let's say over 100,000 Tory um, conservatives. And so it's not like she had a mandate of the nation. When she took power, she had a very limited number of people who put her in that office. And yet, Liz Trust took it as if she did have a mandate. I mean, for God's sake, she had quasi um, quarantine put off that budget. And that budget slashed taxes. It made like more difficult for people who were less of housing. And she was going to go full speed with this, which was basically ripping up all the financial rules. She was like, we're going to give the rich more tax cuts. Now, this is at the exact same time where the Bank of England was trying to literally constrain the money supply. And to make this worse, she was going to borrow to do it. So think of it from the standpoint of they spent, I think it was $109.60 billion that they borrowed to deal with COVID. This is a country that had just gone through Brexit, which means there's no money coming to them from the European Union for any kind of assistance. And on top of that, she comes out and says, we are going to give, give or take $150 billion, borrow $150 billion from a year. And 
the next year because you still have to deal with oil, gas prices, and everything else. The stuff is morning oil. So the UK is sticking on a foreign policy that has made their domestic situation dramatically worse. And trust response to this is we're going to borrow to pay. Well, the pound fell through the roof. In fact, if you go back and look at President Carson when he first introduced the mini budget, and if you put side by side the stock market chart from the standpoint of the pound, you can see the pound drop word for word of what Quartain was saying as the markets freaked out. Part of the reason they freaked out is if you're going to borrow that much. And you have, at this point, an economy that has dwindled to the point of a rising economy, something with a level of, um, what's the country? Um, oh, what is it called? What is it called? It's, it's one of the South Asian countries. It'll come to me in a moment. And Singapore, which, you know, it's amazing. Britain used to have 51% of the globe, and now the economy has dwindled to the point of that, of, like a rising economy of Singapore. So if you're going to do that, and you're borrowing that much money, and your economy doesn't have the productive capabilities of that, this is not you're investing when you get money into the economy. It's not that. It's you're already in arrears, and you're borrowing 169 billion more to put yourself in arrears further. But the markets flipped out. The pound collapsed. The amount of money and the cost on that borrowing increased, which means that because the pound is now so much diminished against something like the dollar, anything that the UK buys from the dollar or with the dollar is that much more expensive. Meaning any product that you buy from us is more expensive, such as. Petrol, petrol, oil, gas. So the U.S. supplying all of this oil and energy to the um, Europe. Well, that makes their situation that much more worse because they have to pay more money for it. So not only are you paying more money for loans that you're trying to take out as a government because the markets flipped up, you're also paying more money just for basic items because against the pound and even against the euro, the pound. I mean, even against um, the dollar and against the euro, the pound has collapsed. It's astonishing. The pound, however, did go up with her designing. Did <laughs> go up. Now, you, the UK seems to have a hot potato problem with political leadership. No one wants to be the leader. Jeremy Hunt, who has basically been running a government for the past week since he came in, Jeremy Hunt came right away and said, I don't want to be prime minister. He does not want to replace trust. So it looks like there'll be an election sometime in six months or so. You know, it's not fixed thing and labor will win simply because there's no one on the Tory side and Keir Starmer Sir Keir Starmer how is he a labor guy explain that to me it see he doesn't seem to be much different than the Tories policy wise what's the difference between Keir Starmer from the Labor Party and what we've seen with Bojo Endless trust. Jamal? So let me say let me say this. So organizers said any candidate would need the backing of hundred lawmakers. And if and only if one candidate passes the threshold by two PM on Monday, they'll be automatically selected as prime minister. Now, if you don't get that, I mean Jeremy Hunt, um, like you said, didn't want the job. Hetty Morgott, I believe, was one of the people who was up for um the up for the writing. Also, Rishi Shunat was the one who was running prior. And I think to your point, nobody wanted the job. So they talked about having a potential election at the end of October. Only, again, just Tory leadership, once again. Um, they, we don't know whether or not there's going to be enough political pressure to force a general election. Because the general election is not set to, be, to begin after, for two years. And so she was, they're in a weird position. Um, one last point. It's almost like saying, if you knew that you just hit an iceberg and your boat was sinking, 
And the captain resigns. Do you want the job? It's that. They don't have a way out. There's no magical door to get them out of the situation. From the standpoint of the money they're paying for inflation, oil, gas, energy, and everything else, they're expected inflation going up 18.6% next year in the UK. And so the money, or the, your pound, is collapsing. You don't know how you're going to ensure that the public has energy. That's assuming you have it, and even if you have it, whether or not they can afford it. You may have people freezing to death. And even when the COVID thing hit, your hospitals were so undernourished because you had the NHS you weren't putting money into the NHS. Your local services were already strained. And when the next person come in, that's a Tory, they're probably going to look at that as a way to make cuts. They're going to cut in the services that were already dramatically cut. There's no way out. There's no door. Um, it's like saying, okay, I'm captain on the Titanic. I'm going to give up my captain position. Who wants it? Under normal circumstances, everybody wants to be in charge. In this case, none of them do. Now, Keir Starmer may try to get in. Keir Starmer is more new labor. Tony Blairites, those guys, the people who are going to, let's go to war, let's go to war. Is he going to be dramatically different from Trump's? Well, he may try investments. He may try this modest stuff like Joe Biden. I'm not going to go and get rid of student debt. I'm going to just do $10,000. That's what I'm going to do. And that may get rolled back in the courts. It's stuck. And so they don't really even call themselves labor. Maybe he does. But all things being equal, um, Jeremy Corbyn was a labor guy. That was a guy who accepted this idea we're labor. We're going to act as such. We're going to do those things for the American public in order to invest into the public and everything else. Keir Starmer is more of a Blairite. He's tepid, to put it mildly. And honestly, to, to get across how ineffectual he is, well, he wasn't able to stand up to Bojo, per se. And all things being equal, the only reason he's even getting any kind of conversation is because of how bad the Tories are. It's like saying the dollar gained in strength, not because the dollar was awesome, but because everybody else collapsed. Keir Starmer is that guy. Everybody else is collapsing. He's just so happy to stand there. I'm um, so saying, okay, I'm the least of all of these horrible tasting chocolates. Select me. Now, we have a similar problem actually in the US. I Think about this. Who was the last Democrat people were excited about? I'd say okay. 2016 Bernie Sanders. I mean, you oh, could see, I see. You, right. you, and you could see excitement about it by the size of the crowds and stuff like that. I saw no one in 2020, nobody who's getting those kind of crowds. What? And you'd think that the Democrats would take a hint at that. Gee, this guy who's a real leftist, at least as close to real leftist as the Democrats have run for a while. You, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people would yeah. think. They don't think Bernie's really leftist, but the most left candidate explicitly had the biggest crowds. You'd think they'd go, well, gee, we, we need to get in on that. And it seems to me no one is excited in England about Keir Starmer at all, right? No. True. Well, I don't think anybody is. I think, look, I think Keir Starmer is going to win by default, not because he's done anything special. I mean, What's there to love about it? He's milk toast. Not to mention, the last leftist that they had over there, they put a knife in the guy. I mean, think back to the election in the UK where it was Boris Johnson. Initially, it was Theresa May against uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Theresa May did horribly against Corbyn. Corbyn was very effective against the type of politician that Theresa May was. Boris Johnson gets in, and Brexit becomes the main thing that these guys are fighting about. Keir Starmer and many other people on the new Labour Party, I don't even want to call them Labour, but a part of the new labor 
sabotaged him intentionally, meaning they understood that Brexit was the issue. And that the public said, look, we voted to leave. It, it was even beyond the issue of the referendum or the issue of Brexit. It was, does the British public, is this a democracy or not? If we choose on something that is a national referendum, are you going to fulfill the obligations of that referendum? Yes or no? Boris Johnson said, yes, a freedom of justice. Put me in. Jeremy Corbyn, because his backbenchers was against Brexit, now didn't want to fulfill the obligations of the referendum. Tony Blair had even said to blow it off. Well, Jeremy Corbyn was too weak and ineffectual of a leader to blow those guys off. And instead said, I'm not going to be part of the vote. I'm going to put this up for a vote. And so Boris Johnson basically said, I am freedom and right. That guy is going to ignore the auspices of the referendum. Put me in. I'm your guy. In which case, the public put him in. And put him in to such a degree that he had all of these other people who were from the various parts of even labor itself vote for Boris Johnson. Now, Jeremy Corbyn was right in Bristol, thoughts of what he was saying. They're going to eat up the NHS. Yes, they were. Are they going to get rid of social services? Yes, they are. They're going to make your life more miserable. Very true, but the issue is Brexit. I'm pointing out that Keir Starmer, in the same way that Democrats here, don't like this idea of having a real lefty at the top of the helm. In, in the U.S., it's the way we finance our elections. Democrats are like, I don't like this way the Fed is running on this. We have all of these people who basically took all of these years to get rid of those dirtbag lefties in Parliament and Congress. Um, and we don't want another Sanders. Chris Matthews going so far as to say maybe we should just take the election so Sanders can't win it and take it over in another four years. Otherwise, Sanders is going to take it over for a generation. Meaning they understood that if he won, that was going to be what Democrats were expected to be going forward. And from the standpoint of people who were putting money in elections and influence and everything else, they couldn't stand it. They didn't want it. I'm making the point that in the UK, um, Keir Starmer is that guy. He's that guy. He's the guy that put a knife in the lefty that was a true lefty in the UK. He was the guy that did it. And so it's like the expectations of what you're going to get from him are not going to be what you would have gotten from a German Corbyn. Hell, they even went so far as to say the guy was an anti-Semite. It was like they literally had a coordinated effort to take Corbyn down, even feeding him misinformation when he was running his election with Theresa May. Like these are the people who now want to take power. That's the point that they're making. These people are every bit as much as, as horrid, politically ineffectual, politically as Democrats are in the United States. And that's what a president in the United States that won't even show his face to run uh, for the meaning to stunt for the candidates because honest truth is they probably don't even want him. We'll just poll him. Chair Steiner is only there as a direct result of the failure of tour, not because he did anything special. And that should tell you everything about Chair Steiner and how he's viewed in the UK. Now people who do math and have calendars might quibble, <laughs> but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say we're too uh, and a half weeks from the election. Rounding uh -huh. it off, I would say it's two and a half weeks. Some people might say, no, closer to three. And you math-loving bastards, chill out. So, Jamal, <laughs> are you, have you noticed the Democrats are no longer even making sounds like they're optimistic? Are you expecting a bloodbath, Republicans winning both houses of Congress in two and a half weeks, Jamal? Yes, I'm expecting white house. I mean, initially, when the abortion thing, look, I was one of those people that said Democrats better pray that Republicans overstep on abortion. And they did. I said, well, I don't know whether or not abortion is going to have enough powder and that gun to give them what they need, but they need something to run on it. At the very least, it gives them something to run on. At this point, I'm pretty clear it doesn't have enough powder in that gun. And whatever optimism they might have had has drained away. That was a recent Harris poll 
And it made the point of saying the top three issues are, are um, economy or inflation, economy, and immigration. Republicans hit all three. Hit it on the head. I have no belief at all that they're going to do anything substantive or good about those issues. But the fact that they're talking about them, the public says, okay, these guys are talking about it. You go to Democrats, it's January 6th, women's issues, and I guess the woke stuff. That stuff is barely on the list. It's certainly not in the top five. None of it is in the top five. And so it's like your country is getting hit with inflation. They're talking about hundreds of thousands of jobs being lost. The majority of the public already believes we're in a recession. We are. They're right. And that is only going to get worse, especially as the Fed increases rates. And they look at Biden as responsible, even the gas price stuff. They might not get chopped and worse of what is happening in the geopolitical sense for Ukraine. What they do get, though, is that Biden's responsible. Brandon's fault. Let's go Brandon. It's Brandon's fault. And they would be absolutely, entirely, indubitably right. It is his fault. And so you have a Democrat who decided to wed himself so close to the strategy with Ukraine. Wed himself to it even at the expense of his own domestic populations. The same thing as that's what idiots in Europe decided to do. And in the same way, you're getting political destabilization there. You may not get it here because of the way that it's not as, let's say, grotesque yet, but they certainly blame like what they are experiencing from the standpoint of gas prices, inflation, and price of goods. And look, just because the inflation number is less than 10%, that number is dodgy at best. They decide on what they want to put into that number. If you're talking about food, if you're talking about energy, energy is not even a part of it. If it was, it would be dramatically higher. Biden has gone so far as to try to get rid of the strategic oil reserve in order to keep the number low, keep it low, just for midterms. And even with the Saudi Arabia stuff, he was mad at Saudi Arabia because they didn't keep it or postpone it for one month. What happens in one month? Midterms. It's all about the midterms. And in this case, he understands that every tick up that the gas price is, is one tick down on his ability for his party to get elected. And at this point, the party doesn't even want to run it with him. It's sad. When Trump was in office, Trump was doing rallies, like, like every day, like just constant rallies for people he wanted to get elected. Sanders is going all across the U.S. now trying to get Democrats excited about being a Democrat. Good luck with that. Um, no, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I could be totally wrong. Maybe the Senate is a coin flip. The House is going to be a bloodbath. Now, the other issue I've heard, and I've seen it in some polls, is education. The American people mm -hmm. seem to care about education. And we recently saw that the ACTs, which is one of those SAT-like tests, have gone, SATs, ACT scores went down. A lot of people, if you leave aside all the woke and trans stuff, a lot of people feel the kids are not getting a good education. And they, rightly or wrongly, Blame the Democrats for that. And certainly the Democrats aren't even addressing the issues. What do you think about education, Jamal, and how the well, Democrats the are is, handling it? The thing is, this country doesn't really care about education. If you did, you have to deal with more of the education. Like if I build a school in a neighborhood full of drugs and crime and kids are ducking bullets in order to get from point A to point B, is that kid going to have a great education? That says no. If that kid is drinking lead, what? Is that kid going to get a great education? Probably not. Or at the very least, he's not going to have the capabilities of fulfilling you know, the, most, the, the greatest, the emancipatory aspect of this personhood. Um, no, the education issue goes beyond education. If you want to support families in this country, like the $300 thing that Biden put out, those actually was a good thing. That was like a social security for kids. Those things look at our, let's say, human population and say to ourselves that in order to get the best of our 
nature, the best of our country, or for that matter, the best of our countrymen, any particular individual, that you're going to have to have certain things in that person's life in order to make that person a whole person. Um, food, water, clothing, safety, some level of being part of a larger system. All of those things are just basic needs. If you take away those needs, those people are going to suffer. It's not going to matter if you put more money into education, if they got second bullets in order to get to school, or they're you know, not able to eat a decent meal. I'm making a point that education is about more than education. It's about more than a person itself. And so, no, I don't think either party cares about education, or at the very least not in real sense. Republicans talk about critical race theory and everything else. Okay, I have no issue with a school teaching how, let's say, elements of race affect outcomes currently. If you get to the point of saying white people need to be in the back of the class, then you're going to lose me on that. But I have no issue with teaching history in a sense. I guess my point is, Having kids do well in school goes beyond just the basics of dumping money into education. Yes, hiring more teachers is nice. Yes, uh, making sure that a curriculum is tight, I suppose, is nice. But this goes to the individual themselves and whether or not we care about how people are being raised and whether or not their material needs are met as those people are being raised. Otherwise, the education thing is never going to take place in any real terms. Now, Jamal, I'm going to say you with it. Let me say you Wait, what? I'm sorry. No, I just said, tell me if I'm wrong. That the education thing goes beyond just education itself. It goes into investment to human beings. I agree. It's a multifaceted issue, but I don't think any of those facets play to the Democrats' advantage. I think the Republicans... No, they don't. No, they don't. You you see what I'm saying? So there are multiple layers to it. But even, even the student loan forgiveness... The Democrats, they have a proposal by Biden that he admits will probably be overturned by a court. And even then, it does not give student loan forgiveness to a lot of people. If you went to a private college, you don't get it, for instance. So it's a limited, you know, it's a limited policy that's already starting weak. And will probably be overturned by the courts, and Biden admits that. So I don't think that's even a payoff that's going to work. But Jamal, I'm going to leave the, I'm going to leave it open-ended with you. I'm going to ask you a question about a topic you know quite a bit about, which is UFOs. Okay, I yes. want you to lay out your theory of what the government's involvement with UFOs was. And what you think they're covering up and what you think is clear beyond, you know, is proven 100 percent. And then you can talk about stuff you think is conjecture. But what do you know for sure? Jamal Thomas, take it away. As a flat fact, as a flat fact something is in our sky. As a flat fact, it seems to be technology. Um, as a flat fact. Our pilots, military pilots, have seen these things, encountered these things, and our sensors and everything else is regarded these things. The United States is not the only government that's basically in the ball with this. Brazil, for example, they had what is it, Operation Saucer, where you had all of these people that were apparently being attacked by aliens. And the British, uh, Brazilian military sends, uh, I believe it's the Air Force out, to basically do an investigation. And they get all of this research, they're doing, they're finding radiation burns on people and everything else. I guess my point is, whether you want the British files, the French files, um, or et cetera, or for that matter, even Russia was engaged in these things. Um, there's something that is in our skies that we don't necessarily know what it is. 
I don't believe it's interdimensional fish. I don't believe it's us, considering it was going back for the last 50, 60 years that we've been aware of it, ever since we basically launched a nuclear bomb. Um, so that part, I think, is very clear. What the government knows is unclear, completely. It's a black box of what the government knows. And oftentimes, the government has put out misinformation in order to hide real information, which makes all of the information sketchy. Like, for example, let's say somebody comes out with research. This researcher puts out information and says, okay, this is what I've researched and this is what I know to be true. The government puts out a bunch of other stuff. Nonsense. Bogus stuff. Oh, the aliens are eating babies, etc. And you have people who latch onto one or the other, which basically makes it difficult to know what's real and what they actually know. What the government knows is entirely unclear. It does seem that they are aware that their people have been engaging something. I mean, David Fravor, for example. Fravor was one of the pilots that was flying on 9-11. Fravor comes out he does an interview with CNN, but Fravor had given this stuff before. said, um, I got called into a location. As I got to the location, we see a craft. We see the craft. Um, it's not something that we've seen before. It's not that it look like our technology. We try to go in on it, and in a split second, the craft leaves. The people who are on the boat of the minutes recount, especially to Bob Bigelow, the guy who was running part of the UFO program, the ATIP program. He was, um, yeah, he was basically the company that was working. I mean, Harry Reid knew that they were working with the ATA program. He basically says, after bringing people on the staff that was from this ship, it came out the water. Now, what it means is, and the reason that the anomalous, uh, I can't think of the name of the acronym, it's a horrible acronym that they've come up with for the, for the uh, Congress, for the military to investigate. The reason why they're not just calling it air phenomena, they're calling it undersea phenomena, because both of those things are happening at the same time. Meaning, it's one thing to say, okay, the U.S. has you know, things that can go fast, or Russia has hypersonic missiles. Well, it's not something that it seems to be under intelligent control. The hypersonic missile is not moving at one pace and then going faster and slower and modifying its speed. And it's not doing that. Nor is it doing this thing where it's coming out the water, hovering, and then going from A point B. They're encountering stuff that is coming out of the water, that is underwater, that is going through the skies at fantastic speeds. Those aren't, we just don't have the capability to do it. And it doesn't look like us, where our other pilots see it. And so they're supposed to have additional congressional hearings. There's supposed to be reports released, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of this month. And the UFO community has been chopping, saying that something is going to be released or something is coming out, um, given the governmental thing. I would tell you this, though. What Congress has done is basically put a spotlight on, let's say, the U.S. military's history with the UFO issue. Because it brings up questions. What do you know? When did you know it? Why were you going after pilots who would come out and say anything about it, meaning in reprisals? Um, from the standpoint of what you've seen, did you give it to the president? Did you keep it from the president? What uh, measures were you taking when you're encountering these things? Meaning, if you're calling it a threat now, why didn't you think it was a threat then? And why didn't you do anything about it or work public that this was taking place? There's all sorts of questions that come up from the standpoint of the defense department. And yeah, it's a black box. And uh, that may freak some people out. Because what it means is that your normal understanding of the world, the way that, let's say, planes move, the way physics works, is about to change. And it means that we have no idea what has been added to the table in regards to what our reality actually is. It is fascinating. But from the standpoint of what the government knows, it's black dots. Nobody really knows. Um, like I say, information is going to be ripped out shortly or slowly. But keep, be aware. What they're releasing, do you honestly believe that people like Nancy Pelosi or uh, this guy, this, this smarmy guy that worked uh, for the Russia stuff. Do you honestly believe that these people are ethical, honest, moral, and that the information they're going to be put out is just straightforward and 
you know, fully contextualized and everything else? Or do you believe that the information is going to be put out in a way that a lot of it may be true? By the same token, it may be self-serving and the nature that's put out. Look at what they did with the war in Ukraine. Ukraine was just standing there. They weren't doing anything. They were just attacked by the Russians. It was that, right? They drop all context in terms of the information, which is the scariest part about this, because you have no way to validate what you're being given in order to discern whether it's true or false, considering that all of this stuff is in the black. And whatever they pull out and put into your daylight, it may be true, may be false. There may be, let's say, lines where you can go to it, but all things being equal. You're stuck with this idea that you don't know. And that's where we are. So what the government knows, we're unclear. They are talking about giving, let's say, um, allowing people to put information out without them being prosecuted, if indeed that information is, let's say, faulty. They're even talking about trying to find technology, per se, if the government had access to it, to try to get that technology into the limelight. Um, the more interesting question is, why now? To me, that's the more interesting question. Like, you've had 80, 100 years, give or take, where this could have came out, especially when you're thinking of Roswell and everything else. It could have came up then. Why are they okay with this information and data coming out now, and why is the UFO subject becoming an issue? That is just as exciting to me or, or fascinating to me as what they're hiding. Now, speaking of why now, switching to foreign policy for a second, we had people ask about UFOs. So I thought, Jamal, since we're lucky enough to have you on, I'd have you go into a, a long explanation of that. So thanks for that. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. You know I love the subject. So, <laughs> you know I love the subject. So I'm seeing a building propaganda war against Iran, a, a renewed uh-huh. one. I'm seeing lots of uh-huh. stories about, like, the morality police in Iran, and also the U.S. media seems obsessed with the idea that Iran made the drones Russia's using in Ukraine, even though Russia and Iran have denied it. So do you see the building propaganda war against Iran, and why now? Do you think the U.S. thinks it can't have enough enemies in the world, Russia, (laughs) China, the Saudis, What's going on with that? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I am seeing exactly what you're saying. I mean, whether it's the nuclear talk in Ukraine with, um, oh, Putin's talking about tactical minutes and the speech is nothing like that. Um, no, they are building a framework. Usually what seems to take place is usually there's something that happens. There's something unexpected or some pretext. And the spin meisters come around and say, you know what, we can use that for our match, especially if there's already a protest. Meaning, if you already have a public that finds itself pissed off and angry about something that's happening, it is far easier to basically, let's say, harness and use that for illicit ends. And so there's, uh, Iran is basically saying that the Berlin or Germany have been working with other governments in order to inflame the protests. There were multiple NGOs that were already on the ground inflaming the protests and making the protests more valid. And by the way, keep in mind, oh, right. So yes, I guess my answer is yes. The idea is to get rid of them, they're doing it now because... <laughs> they don't never like to run. And Jamal, we are, we are out of time. It's the top of the hour. Great appearance. You're always welcome on the show. Thanks so much for talking to us about England, UFOs, and Iran. Jamal Thomas can be listened to on fault lines here on Radio Sputnik. Let's take a short break and we'll be back on the backstory. We're 
back on the next story, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm reporter Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. Once again, I want to thank Jamal Thomas from Fault Lines here on Radio Sputnik and great appearance. You know, you see why, Rod, I gave Jamal the floor and said, basically, say what you want about UFOs, because he knows a lot about them. What do you think about what Jamal was saying there, Rod? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with uh, what Jamal is saying. It's a lot of uh, unknowns of the unknown, which is kind of weird. But I think it's also, um, you know, in that uh, Teneo conversation, Paul Ryan was talking about uh, blockchain and AI and cryptographic uh, technology and all this other stuff. And he was talking about the race with China. So it's all this technology we don't know about or, you know, we don't we have no real grasp of it yet fully. And it's just, you know, so it's uh, just a lot to put your wrap your mind around and we've got a clip from paul ryan so let's get to the boom coming up this half hour uh, in a half hour is our friend tata nixon and rod take us out with a boom the name of the show is you listen to the best show on the radio the backstory well done so let's go to the paul ryan clip this is paul ryan talking about coronavirus so this will be good. Hit it. To give this this industry the ability to, to to grow in America, Patrick McHenry, with the chairman of the Financial Services Committee, a great policymaker, a total workhorse, who I think will, with the Biden administration, write a good law. That that's my prediction. Um, I can go down the list of committees. You ask about. Um, it's funny. The committees that do a lot of this investigating aren't typically the committees that do all the legislating policy-wise. The Armed Services Committee, they'll be run by a guy named Mike Rogers, and he will continue the 54th, I think, in a row bipartisan tradition of having a bipartisan National Defense Authorization Act. Mike Turner will be a great Intelligence Committee chair focusing on a buttressing Americans' intelligence community. Yeah, I can go on and on. Jamie Comer and, and, and Jim Jordan will run the um, Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee. Those committees will do oversight. Those committees will do the hearings. The, the, the hearings you'll see on you know, Hunter Biden and stuff like that will probably come from those two committees because that's frankly their jurisdiction. And that's, that's the, those, the committees that do the investigating, the show trials that you, you're used to seeing come from certain committees. Yeah. And the people who go on those committees want to do those things. Right. And so they'll be doing those things. The people who – I went on Ways and Means Committee because I wanted to do tax policy and welfare policy and trade policy. Policy. So it, the way it works in Congress is you pick your path, and what you like to do and what your strong suit is is where you typically end up, and that's what you do. And that's why you'll see sort of a mosaic of activities in Congress, policy leadership, policy making oversight, and, yes, politics. You just brought up the National Defense Authorization Act, and yeah. it looks like the sort of controversial Taiwan uh, Policy Act yeah. will likely get folded into that ultimately. Do you feel confident that, that um, you know, as, that is, as that's worked through, that some of the more sort of uh, very provocative elements of the, of yeah. the original act will get, will get watered down? I, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. it, it I've been involved in lots of those little disputes. It's always the administration, which has what I'd say kind of a cooling saucer view on foreign policy, you know, a bigger, well-rounded view on foreign policy, tries to temper the passions in Congress, and then negotiates with Congress. 
The thing is, with that bill, it almost always passes with a veto override-proof majority. So the administration has less leverage on a bill like that than they typically do. Yeah, so obviously, that I, I misread that. That wasn't about coronavirus. That was Paul Ryan talking about, and I don't like Paul Ryan for a variety of policy reasons, but he does know how Congress works. And I think he's right. Those will be the committees. And notice the thing he said, that the intelligence community will be supported. I think that's a correct prediction. I don't like it, but I think he's right about what's going to happen. What did you think about what Paul Ryan was saying there, Rod? Yeah, this was uh, Taneo, the consulting firm that uh, Jason Miller, who's in the Trump orbit, who I, I still don't trust, and that's why I think Trump's always getting bad advice. But yeah, I thought this clip was telling. He was this is this is what we should, we should expect. These are the people who are going to head these committees, and you know Jim Jordan's going to be in charge of the uh, investigations we're going to see on TV, and uh, you know they're going to be salacious. But you know Jim Jordan has a history of doing all these. Uh, you know, salacious things on TV that get, you know, big headlines and all that, but nothing ever happens. You know what I mean? So, and that's why he mentioned Hunter Biden. And then we talk about the, um, the ND, NDAA, the National Defense Authorization, Authorization Act. Yes. And, you know, he's just like, you know, it's 100%. Yeah, it's going to pass no matter what. You know what I mean? They're going to throw all that stuff in there. And I don't think we'll see anybody, although I think if a Republican took a position on Ukraine, that was different than the, the establishment Democrats' position. He would meet a lot of people who support him. Do you think if a Republican actually came out and said, you know what, Ukraine is not a great country, and I don't think we should be spending billions of dollars on them. If a Republican said that, I think from the base, from Republican voters, he would be met with a lot of applause. He might meet with resistance in Washington. He would. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, do I care what the voters think or what these guys sitting next to me in Congress think? Rod, what do you think? No, I agree with that, Lee. Um, I think the base and people, even people who are non-political, have no idea when they keep hearing Ukraine over and over again since, you know, Obviously, since the last, I guess we were saying like 10 years now, really, but the last three or four really, you know, all day, every day, you know, in billions, I think they were at $60 billion for Ukraine. And, you know, that's our money. What what, what uh, obligation do we have to Ukraine? You know, I mean, I don't have an obligation to Ukraine. I know you don't either. So, Well, did you see what Pence said about Ukraine? Recently, no. Yeah. Former VP Mike Pence said, if you're not supposed, basically a very strong advocacy for Ukraine. So Ukraine was trying to destroy the Trump administration. I mean, the second impeachment was all Ukraine. So Ukraine is no friend to the Trump administration. Is that safe to say? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, then that's the second time Pence has said that. Because uh, he said that a, a couple months ago. So, yeah, he's 100% all in for Ukraine. But he's also establishment, like with John McCain and Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham. He's, he's, that's his gang, so he has to support them. Right, and, but, but that's why a lot of the base does not support him. So let's go to calls, 202-521-1320. Tarif, what is on your mind? 
Thank you, gentlemen, for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free June the signs. It's very important for me to get them out. Okay, here's my comment on what McCur- um, Alex McCurry said some days ago. He, um, okay, Putin was asked a question some days ago about the state of Ukraine. Will Ukraine exist after this is over, right? Putin, as McCurry was saying, that the journalists asked Putin that, and Putin kind of dodged the question. By not answering directly by by talking about Ukraine in the past tense, so but as McCurry said that some uh, summarized that because you have the mobilization, you got all these troops gonna start pulling in. They might go for a decapitation to knock out the state of Ukraine altogether. Well, you might not have no Ukraine next year, sometime next year. When you got all these troops starting mass up on different parts, like in Belarus and different parts of Russia to uh, basically destroy them. So you might not have no Ukraine next year at all. And they're going to have a whole bunch of referee, uh, refugees going into um, Europe. Yeah, that's, that's the only comment I had today, Lee. So so we talked about it with Mark Sobol yesterday. And Mark does not see how Ukraine can survive this, given the way Ukraine's acting. And let's point out something. The supposedly 60,000 troops in Kherson, this is, he pointed out, this is like the Nazis' last big push in World War II. And uh, the Nazis had one big push towards the end of the war. And they went all in with everything. And they lost, obviously. And they went in, in part, because they wanted to improve what their negotiating position was. They could see the end was near. But Ukraine doesn't have any negotiating position. So there's no way they're going to improve it. And Russia is bringing in the reinforcement. They, they've done partially a mobilization. The mobilization is only bringing in about a third of the troops Russia said they're going to bring in. But those troops are ready, to, getting ready to fight in Kherson. And we expect that offensive by the Ukrainians is going to start in about two or three weeks. But by that time, Russia will have a huge number of troops mobilized and ready to go. And they are assembling troops in Belarus. And they are assembling planes in Belarus. And the Ukrainian Air Force, such as it is, has shown they cannot do much to stop Russia in the air or with artillery. They're not being particularly effective with stopping them. And when that is combined with big Russian troop numbers of well-trained, because don't forget, the people who are being mobilized aren't, it's not like Ukraine where they're taking grandfathers and farmers and anybody, and they drafted them. These are people who are being mobilized, who were in the military. They were already had military training. I think it's going to be a devastating loss for Ukraine. But they don't seem to know, or in the case of their NATO masters, care. They don't care at all. Rod, do you agree with me that NATO 
does not care how many Ukrainians die. No, they've uh, they've openly said you know they want to fight until the last Ukrainian, which is a sick a sick thing to think about and say out loud. But you know, um, once I uh, saw Ukraine on fire, Lee, just to go back uh, a little bit, and uh, um, it, in my mind, I've read, it, it came it clicked to me. You know, Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor of Kiev. He was a boxer. He, um, he's a college graduate from Germany, and I'm like, oh, this is America's useful idiot, and this is who's leading the destruction of what's going to be the last piece to go, which is Kiev. And it's just like, you know, it's just, so it's just all playing out. Like just, uh, you know, America's stupidity just as here domestically it is over there in Ukraine. And with this uh, general Armageddon, with the new military later they have, Russia has shown a new seriousness about the military operation. And I think they're getting more realistic because Mark Sloboda has been on this show for months saying, you know, he wants Russia to get tougher. Russia seems to be getting tougher. Agreed? Yeah, you're having someone named General Armageddon, and this guy, you know, he's no nonsense, and he wants to get he wants to get right at it and get, you know, destroy the uh, the target. So, you know, and I, feel bad, I feel bad for the civilians, or again, uh, innocent civilians. That's about it. Speaking of civilians, I heard... Two news reports today. One of them said Zelensky is saying 30% of the Ukrainian power grid is gone. 30%, one third. And the next newscast said, some other general said 40% of the Ukrainian power grid is gone. So based on those things, I'm going to guess that it's actually more like 50 or 60% because they're telling you. Right? Do you agree? Ukraine's going to understate the number, and they're saying 30 and 40. So, to my mind, but they're telling Ukrainians, conserve energy. Don't turn on your power most of the day. And that's not a sign things are going well. So, let's go to calls. 202-521-1320. Ingrid, you're on. What's on your mind? Well, not to change the subject, but I'm still working with this uh, D.C. action for Assange. And after the rally here, we want to try to do more actions to maintain some momentum on this. And outreach in Virginia is on the on the docket. That's the area where they're going to be selecting the jury if, in fact, he's ever extradited. Um, something came up last night. Now, John had mentioned to me about the only possibility he saw, because the the eastern quarter of Virginia is so stacked against Julian, was if there was some needle in a haystack person who would uh, nullify the jury. And when I brought this up, we actually have an attorney on our committee, and she said, well, we have to be careful because if you you, um, encourage people to take that route, and what that is, is that if a juror uh, knows, accepts that a person uh, technically is, has in fact done what, what the uh, prosecution says, they nevertheless feel that for um, extenuating reasons, they're going, to, they're going to vote him innocent, even if he might technically have done what they accuse him of doing. So... She brought up that um, people have been 
arrested for that. And so I, I'm trying to find out what the line is between just informing people that such, such a route for a juror exists versus actually encouraging them to do that, if there is a, is a safe place to do that. And maybe if you get Bruce Fine on, you could ask him about what the legal um, position is of, of informing somebody about jury nullification. And, and the reason, you know, we want to get to, to people before the trial and inform them of their rights and of, of Julian's history is because he's not going to be allowed to make a defense in the trial because of his being tried under the Espionage Act. I think John has uh, gone into this with you, that he wasn't even allowed to make a, a defense. So if people don't know the story before they go in the door, they're not going to, they're not going to learn it during the trial. Uh, so thanks for the update, Ingrid. Good update. Thank you so much. And thanks for your continued work on the Julian Assange case. And so, hey, Rod, June Ha, I'd like to see extradited, but I haven't heard anything about that. Is this guy, have you heard of him? He's in England, Prince Andrew. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Now, that picture of his hand around the waist of a teenager with Ghislaine Maxwell, do you know, because I don't, where was that picture taken? In the U.S. or the U.K.? Do you know, offhand? That's, que- that's a good question. I thought it was at um, at Epstein Island. I thought that was the picture. That's where they're. At, that's where they're at. I could be wrong, so I'm so I'm not saying that's a definite. But that's that's where I thought it's a, uh, that picture comes from. Because I know for sure Epstein had Prince Andrew over his house in New York, right? We know that. We've seen pictures of Andrew there. So I would like to see the U.S. justice system extradite that guy. You know, I heard Joe Rogan say something that I thought was a good point. Ghislaine Maxwell is the first person he said, I've heard of being uh, indicted and convicted on sex trafficking where there are no clients. None, none, none of the people who were clients came up during the trial, right? And they include Prince Andrew and possibly Alan Dershowitz. So if the U.S. is going to extradite someone from England, talk to Andrew. But we all know why that's never going to happen. Because her clients, not clients exactly, friends, I have no reason to think they paid money to her. Uh, I think it was trading favors. Do you agree, Rod? Oh yeah, for surely. Uh, and, and actually, uh, Ghislaine just came out and said she uh, she feels she feels sad that her relationship with Bill Clinton's ending. That that was her her little friend. Um, so you know, just just that that she she said that, and that the, the papers are reporting this, and the public's reading this, and like you said, no, none of the clients are convicted. It's just uh, Ghislaine down in Florida. Um, it just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense, and it just. It gives people a, like a brain freeze, like when you drink a Slurpee too fast, you know what I mean? Yeah, except it does make sense. You know what I'm saying. I agree. It makes no sense if you think the law matters. But if you realize that there are two systems of justice, and the Clint, Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew are on one, and it's not the one you and I would be on. Does it make sense? 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like that makes sense to me, and uh, I think a lot of people listen to the show here on Sputnik Radio uh, on the network, actually, and so a lot of shows. So yeah, one hundred percent, and it's uh, it's one of one of the most mis- uh, biggest miscarriages of justice here in America, and it's in you know real time when we have all this technology, but you know people are so dumbfounded by just uh, celebrity and the celebrity who gives them information. You know, also. Um, did you did uh, did you see the the, the the singer? I think she's from the UK. You keep we've been talking about the UK. MIA. She she put out the tweet that uh, shouldn't we be able to sue all the celebrities that were promoting these vaccines? No, I did not see that. But but the yeah, vac- she, she 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 was talking about she was talking about uh, since Alex Jones got sued for talking about Sandy Hook, she was like, shouldn't we be able to sue all these celebrities? And, you know, all the uh, other blue checkmark celebrities started attacking her. Uh, MIA. That, um, that's that's her name. Interesting. No, I I will look into that. But uh, the the Epstein story is an example, and I think it should be brought up every time the in conjunction with the Julian Assange thing. Julian is clearly part of the second tier in our justice system. People and Alex Jones, if you're on the wrong side politically, you can't. You do anything, they'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. And if you're on the right side, as Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton and Bill Gates, I believe Bill Gates was on Epstein Island too. Is, do we know for sure he was on the plane? I think he was, right? Is there any doubt about that? I believe so. Yeah, he he known and frequented uh <laughs> So with Epstein, yeah, 100% Lee. And we know Epstein targeted a lot of scientists and high-tech professionals. He invited them because he wanted to curry favor with them through, you know, the way he did. So uh, the FCC, right. go, go ahead, uh, go ahead, Rod. Um, let's not forget, uh, in WikiLeaks, we found out that uh, Hillary Clinton in the in the Podesta emails wanted to uh, drone Julian Assange. So she seriously thought about uh, droning him while he was in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy. So you know that's how that's how important Julian Assange is. And people forget how far back we were talking before about Ukraine. It's been a setup since 2012 with the Magnitsky Act and 2014 with Madan. Also, I'm convinced. It's obvious there's a reason Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State in the first Obama administration. She set up a thing called Civil Society 2.0. I talk about this in the Oliver Stone produced film, Revealing Ukraine, directed by Igor Lopotnik. And in Revealing Ukraine, they do a good job of illustrating with clips what civil society 2.0 is. I'm convinced Hillary as Secretary of State, since was set up for the current tensions with Russia and working through Ukraine. And civil society 2.0 was a way of setting up the Madan. Now, anyone who wants to know anything about that, look up Hillary Clinton, civil society 2.0, and you'll find all kinds of press releases about it. And they taught through NGOs how to do basically social media tactics 
back in 2014 and 2013 and 2012. But if have are you convinced from hearing stuff I talk about, Rod, that Hillary Clinton was setting up what we've seen in Ukraine, setting up the Madan and setting up the subsequent political use of Ukraine? Rod? Yeah, no. Hundred percent, I, I, I believe. I believe it's a fact. I mean, we had Victoria Newland over there when she was delivering the cookies, and we know that's who she's aligned with. And also, remember that uh, these people believe in, uh, in imagery. And re- remember, she brought that up stupid button that said "reset," and was well, supposed to say "reset" on on uh, with with Putin. It was supposed to be like the Staples button, if you remember those old Staples commercials. And you know, she, it's so so embarrassing. But to, but to them, that was the, the you know they wanted to. Uh, like you said, with these NGOs, start agitation with Ukraine and then try to, you know, start something with Russia. And uh, again, you can, you listening, can find out a lot of this stuff yourself because do the research. Like I say, Hillary Clinton, Civil Society 2.0, and you'll find that program started by Hillary Clinton created two things. Number one, the Arab Spring and the overthrow, attempted overthrow, it didn't work, of the Syrian regime. And uh, also stuff going on in Ukraine. They used to do these things called tech camps. Tech, T-E-C-H, like, you know, high tech. Tech camp, look up tech camp Kiev and you'll find the tech camp that was sponsored by the State Department it was actually at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine in, I think, 2013, may have been 2012. And you can probably find the YouTube video about that. They were using social media to try to get what they wanted to happen in Ukraine to overthrow the government. And they were working directly with Soros because he was a big funder of NGOs in Ukraine. All this stuff is very clear, which is why I think Mike Pence is a traitor, not to Trump and not to Republicans, but to this country. My country, the U.S., should not have been working with Soros on overthrowing a government in Ukraine. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. They talk a lot about the sovereign nation of Ukraine. Ukraine has not been a sovereign nation since the U.S. overthrew the government of Yanukovych and selected his successor. A a sovereign nation you don't overthrow. So whenever the Biden administration and everyone else say Putin violated their sovereignty, I go, what sovereignty? We did not treat the Ukraine like a sovereign nation. The difference is we did it through diplomacy and through deep state tactics and through civil society and through George Soros. Russia was left with no choice when the diplomacy failed and Ukraine. Did you see, by the way, Berlusconi in, uh, in Italy? He was caught on a live mic telling the truth about Ukraine. So now he's being attacked. He pointed out that uh, 
that Russia was kind of pushed into this. And he didn't say kind of. Did you see that with Berlusconi in Italy, Rod? Yeah, I saw that. Lee. Yeah, and I also saw the attacks he's getting. It's, it's just, I mean, what can you say? It just it just shows the time when these people are sick. Like, why, why, why would we keep wanting this to prolong? Then everyone's already admitting, and you're seeing in even the New York Times that everyone knows New Ukraine can't win this. So what? What's why are we still sending billions? There we go. So let's take a short break, and when we when we come back, the great Tyler Nixon will be joining us. Get ready for that here on the backstory. Story, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. And we're on the radio on 105.5 FM and AM 1390. Joining us now, great friend of the show and great patriot, Tyler Nixon. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing all right, Lee. It's good to be with you as always. Appreciate your kind words. Well, great, to, great to have you. So let's talk about your friend Tucker Carlson, because he is absolutely killing it. And I'll ask you a question sometimes people ask me. And uh, I, I, you, you, you obviously don't know in, in, any insider secret, because I don't think there is. I think it's actually a simple answer. But I want to hear what you say. Tucker Carlson is the one reporter in mainstream media, I think you agree, who is consistently telling the truth that no one else seems to tell. You agree with that, right? Yes, on a number of issues uh, across the spectrum. Yes. Now, some people ask me, why does Fox keep him on? Why is he on the air and allowed to tell the truth? And I say, it's simple. He is the best rated show in the history of primetime news. And I don't think Fox wants to fire the guy with the best rated show. And even though he's saying stuff that disagrees with a lot of what Fox says, because he does, I think that's it. What do you think, Tyler? I think absolutely. And, I, and what I think the mis- misconception is that, you know, because so many leftists are used to, uh, you know, oh, Fox News, faux news, and, and they're used to the fact of the um, sort of unilateral and, uh, um, monolithic, I guess, more like uh, views that come out of their their preferred network, CNN, MSNBC, where they absolutely don't abide any sort of uh, dissent, except maybe to have one guest on with five other people, you know, uh, quintuple teaming them. That Fox is somehow the same way, whereas Fox is not. I mean, it's not. You go on to uh, you know some of the daytime shows, um, which are more news oriented and a little less, you know, opinion. Um, there's definitely, I mean, there's there's been anti-Trump sentiment throughout that, um, and it's just it's not the monolithic again uh, ideological um, echo chamber that you get from the other networks, and that's just a total misconception or a, a basically a um, a leftist talking point that's not true. I mean, there's definitely differing viewpoints within Fox, and I think and you're right. It comes down to viewership. He's the number one show, and and he's also a 30 year fixture in uh you know national uh, journalism and certainly in on the political scene in washington 
and uh, you know they'd be fools to try to pull them off. I mean, what 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 you know what particular opinion and who who would make that decision? I mean, this isn't this isn't Roger Ailes calling the shots. You know, any single person. So when he has the import that he does, he has the audience that he does, he has the credibility as a journalist that he does. They just they they'd be. I mean, it'd be it'd be shooting themselves in in the more than just the foot to dare try to take Tucker Carlson down, regardless of what he says. I mean, I, you know, I don't think there's much he could in terms of opinion. And frankly, there's probably a lot of people who agree with what he's saying. I mean, there might be, you know, your typical neocons still lingering within the uh, the executive structure of Fox. But I mean, for the most part, they they know how to move with the general tenor of the uh, ideological end of the spectrum that that they're more uh you know catering towards yeah no i i absolutely agree and even sean hannity who i don't particularly agree with the times i've dealt with sean he's always been nice to me personally but i don't agree with sean hannity he's a typical you know neocon in terms of foreign policy i don't want him censored i'm fine with tucker carlson and Sean Hannity both being on Fox. Do, do you know what I was getting Frank, Frankly, at? yeah. Well, I mean, Laura Ingram isn't particularly, uh, you know, rat beating beating her chest for uh, war either. That from what I've seen, I mean, I think she may not. She's not necessarily on Tucker's level, but she definitely questions what the hell we're doing, and you know what what the machinations are around it, and why you know what I mean, just from a perspective of why. Are we expending this, these untold amounts of money um, when we've got such problems, so many problems here domestically? Um, and just, you know, she, I mean, it would be, it's tough to defend it on any, on any grounds at all. I mean, we, you know, we have no, uh, even, you know, if, even if you were to stretch it to the, to the level of say, oh, you know, we could say we were attacked by, you know, Arab, Islamic Arabs generally, and then we're going to invade Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, it's even more attenuated here. I mean, it's, you know, NATO is, Ukraine is not part of NATO. And it's just, it's just the neocons trying to gin up the same war they've been pushing for with, with uh, Putin and Russia as their, their international boogeyman for the past, I don't know, what, 20 years, at least. I mean, you know, it's like they just can't accept that the Cold War ended this uh, this boogeyman that, that that everybody had, which you know legitimately was in the Soviet Union, but I mean Putin, it's just a and, and with the current Russian state, it's just so so different, and it's um it's it's really it's a it's abominable what they're doing. I mean to bring us to the brink of nuclear war. I mean Biden is a senile demagogue and a monster, and I hope he drags the Democratic Party into the pit of hell with him. And also, he Tucker had a great piece uh, recently talking about the open racism at MSNBC. And he highlighted this woman I'd never heard of before, Tiffany Cross. She hosts a show over there at MSNBC. And Tucker pointed out, this is blatant open racism, explicitly calling out white people. Now, again, it would be equally offensive if she was calling out Jews or Italians or black people, quite frankly. And saying all black people think this or think that. But are you frightened to some extent by the open racism that has come to be accepted in the past few years? And I think that's due to the influence of the Democrats. Do you agree? And are you uh, scared uh, by it and if offended? Well, due to the influence of the Democrats, it is entirely 
the, the product of the Democrats or the you know the leftist um, woke warriors, whatever have you. They you know because at the base of their 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 warped ideology, which is just essentially um, to you know the, the, there's no such thing as reverse racism, right? And the, the the whole this whole these bizarre concepts of like white privilege, and the the sort of imparting of, uh, you know, just as just as just as you're sort of owed reparations merely for the fact of having a, a darker skin complexion, regardless of your your actual uh, traceable say lineage going back to those who were actually enslaved, um, who who frankly you know there was there were plenty of white indentured servitude indentured servants and slaves frankly throughout history, uh, just as there were plenty of black slave masters, um, you know throughout history. But but you know in their in their sort of warped distillation of well it's not even a distillation of history it's really just a complete fabrication of history. White privilege makes it impossible for you to have any sort of um, racial discrimination against you as a white person. So they can just openly be race, racist, period, you know, racist in, in the most – any sense of the term. There's no way to, to – to, you know, there's no such thing as racism except for white people. But, you know, and, and this is in their minds, their, their uh, attempts to subjugate who they think and perceive to be their Political and ideological opponents, and those who would stand in the way of their fantasies and their their warped uh, desire to uh, shape society and whatever you know, whatever they're or, or where where they're basically atop it, whatever whatever the uh, whatever the ideology happens to be, and it, it's becoming increasingly the ideology and and the um, uh, sort of the dogma of it is becoming increasingly insane, just completely incoherent. Uh, just made up as they go and and degenerate, frankly, and deviant. And, and, and uh, now you ask me if I'll, I'm afraid or I'm I'm frightened by it. No, I'm not frightened or offended by it. I think it just exposes what trash, uh, you know, incoherent, um, just hateful trash they are. And I'll stick with you know Martin Luther King's, uh, uh, you know, idea of the of you know rising above skin tone and skin color and. You know, genetic sort of uh, differences amongst us, and, and going to character. And the reason they don't want to follow that, and I rightly refute King, is is quite obvious, because their character is completely uh, corroded and degenerate, and and they can't. You know, it's the content of their character is disgusting, and it's even worse than anything you could ascribe to them on any racial, uh, you know, or skin tone uh, terms or grounds. And I'll push back when I don't don't think people are properly blaming an ideology like Marxism for stuff. But on this racial issue, this is Marxism. The, all of the, the Frankfurt School led to the Black Studies and Hispanic Studies and Women's Studies program. And the person who covered this very well is my friend Andrew Breitbart in his book, Righteous Indignation. He discusses the rise of cultural Marxism. So this is Marxism. Agreed, Tucker? No, no question. Oops. You know, no question. Sorry. Balkanizing the society and it's divide and conquer. Now, we've talked sometimes oh, about real quick. Jay, I would point. Jay. I'm just following the. I'm yeah. following the Rumble chat and the uh, one of the commenters, who's your Mark, points out interestingly that uh, Michael Moore had a Scottish ancestor who was a slave. Uh, and is killed by American Indians. So interesting, a Scottish slave killed by American Indians. There's, there's, an, there's a link there. So um, it looks like you know that's just another another good 
uh, uh, sort of making the point. If anybody wants to check because, out the Rumble rants of, you know, no one talks about this history. We've ha- heard a lot about slavery, and by all means, slavery was awful. But we don't hear anything, for instance, about the Irish indentured servants after Cromwell, right. and the the Irish indentured servants had a pretty rough too, right? Tyler, well, I think so, you know, know we don't what we don't hear about is. You know, why is it only the white men who were slaveholders, uh, you know, or the blacks right. who were slaves, not the blacks who were slaveholders uh, who sold their own people, the Africans who sold their own people into slavery, uh, or or about, frankly, the hundreds of thousands of Americans who, who perished in a war that essentially was, uh, you know, ended slavery, and, and, the, and the, the, the countless white people who ended slavery, you know, who, who fought against against that that system and ultimately ended it so you know what i mean i'm sorry what are they just they don't count because it certainly was not the african slaves who liberated themselves by any stretch so you know a lot of people lost a lot uh, a lot of white people you know put their put their everything on the line and many died in order to liberate the african you know slaves and so the idea that they don't exist merely because they want to because today's quote, African-Americans or whatever, want to focus only on the slave owners in order to somehow ascribe, uh, you know, generational guilt to all white people so they can, I don't know, just, I mean, it really comes down to their greed and their warped ideology. There's no, there's nothing whatsoever that has any substantive moral uh, component to this crap of, of white privilege and all that. It's just, you know, like, it's, you're right, it's total Marxist claptrap made up out of whole cloth in order to divide people and to assign power to themselves over people by, you know, these invented sort of systems of whatever thinking and what it's just completely, it's complete nonsense. And you're right. It it only comes down to they're having the power and, uh, you know, within this elite group of people who dictate the terms of all intellectual debate and conversation and, and divide people up while they ride atop it all. And self deal and whatever have you. Yeah, it's it's definitely Marxist in nature. It's lazy people yep. who don't want to work for it, and they just want to run around dividing people up and then, you know, making themselves victims so they can deal, uh, you know, be dealt whatever benefits they can derive from that by either guilting or uh, just bludgeoning people into it. And also, it's because the Marxists in the 1960s were becoming teachers, Bill Ayers from the Weather Underground, who went to dinner. By the way, do you remember when Tucker won dinner with Bill Ayers? No, I didn't realize that was the case. So about 12 years ago, Bill Ayers was auctioning off dinner with Bill Ayers, and Tucker oh. bid and won. And he brought That's my great. friend Andrew Breitbart. Hey, how great is this? Andrew, this right before he died, Andrew said, I'm going to dinner with Tucker, and Tucker invited me to go to dinner with Bill Ayers. And the reason Tucker and Andrew was, in theory, a competitor of Tucker's, because Tucker had Daily Caller and Andrew had Breitbart.com. But Andrew admired Tucker so much. Andrew brought, brought Tucker brought Andrew because he thought it would be fun. He thought he would be the most fun guy to bring. And sure enough, they had fun. But Bill Ayers was teaching teachers 
from the 60s. So what happened was the next generation were the people who taught this generation's teachers. And that's why we find so many academics on libs of TikTok and so on. They've been trained by these Marxists. It's three generations of Marxists. And that's, I think, why we talked about what Jamal before. Recently, a headline was the ACT scores, kind of this SATs, are at an all-time low. People aren't learning stuff like math and science. They're learning this, like you say, Marxist claptrap. And it's hurting our children. And it's hurting our competitiveness as a country. Do you agree, Tyler? Oh, absolutely. No, it's, you know, it's not the reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's ignorance and indoctrination. Um, you know, either, either, I mean, you know, there's no education really at this point. I mean, the, everything, the socialization uh, into, into this, uh, you know, the, the, really the programming. It's not, I mean, the programming into these ideologies is warped. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I talk to young people. I'm not going to say what context, uh, just not to reveal you know that. But let's just say I, I have the opportunity to interview young people for for certain reasons. Um, and it's like every two or one, it's always climate change. Like you know, they just they just spout. They have nothing interesting to. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't say this. They that they, they there's a void there. It's like I remember people of my generation, you know, which would have been 30 years ago in school. Um, Whoever they were, there was there, they could they could maintain a conversation, and they had some they had something interesting to say. Whether whatever it was that they did in their life that they chose, you know, to focus on, um, they they would have things to say. They would contribute. And now it's like this; it's just spouting back the the um, the, the traditional the dogma, you know, the 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 uh, orthodoxy of of what is priority, which is climate change and uh, you know trans rights and. Um, you know, the LGBTQ plus and the BLM, and it's, it's just like every you know, flavor of the month leftist cause or uh, um, you know, sort of idea, if it's even call it that or whatever the doctrine is, is, is what these is being drummed into these kids' heads at the total expense of even the most basic uh, educational uh, foundational subjects and, and information that, that would just enable you to even exist uh, – and and to survive in in, a, in any kind of um, you know econ regular economy or to be competitive as you said, and it's it's just a, such a disservice. And these people, I mean, the teachers, I mean, I have a relative who's one, and it's like my God, it, it, it's you, you almost wonder who is behind this, who is pushing these complete radicals, radical leftists, to all become you know elementary school teachers and you know teachers at some level. Uh, and to just the point where it's just acceptable for them to insert and insinuate themselves. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really, it's really, uh, it's such a disservice to the young generations because they're coming out again, out of what's a so-called education, totally ill-equipped to deal with reality because let's face it, the stuff they're being, that's being drummed into their heads is completely divorced from reality. It's, it's the fantasies, the delusions of uh, Marxist and you know communist or whatever leftist ideologues, and it's totally out of touch with reality. And no matter how much they wish it, and no matter how much they try to to 
sort of run around and, and, and drum it into people's and, and parade it in front of people, it's never going to be reality. It never will be. And it's, you know, because they're totally, they don't understand. I mean, they're, they're at odds with, the, with very human nature itself. And they want to deny it, and they think they can mold it. They think they can make you know better and uh, better people by this uh, sort of just crazy, ever evolving, ever devolving, really code of conduct and what's acceptable. And just like you, I mean, you listen to like libs of TikTok, and you listen to these people rattle off, um, you know, rattle off like the 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 like the pronouns and all this all this nonsense. It's just like you know what. They're control freaks, and and they think that somehow they're intellectually superior, um, and that they can they can get everybody have to you know follow these speech codes and whatever the latest flavor is. You know we have to all go along, and it's just you know they're really stunted intellects and they're stunted per, uh, personalities who have serious disorders in most cases, and are just I mean they're just really um, the last people you would want teaching kids or teaching anyone for that matter. And it's like it, it's accelerated to the extent it's just like my God. In the matter of a decade or two, we went from, you know, having teachers with maybe like college professors with liberal liberal bias, to now having elementary school teachers that are absolutely radical, uh, ideological, um, you know, Marxists, and and are pushing this insanity onto kids who don't know any better. Down to like the drag queen story hour and this like the sexualization of kids. And the pushing of, I mean, it, it is sick. These people are really sick. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, that's really what it is. It, and it, I guess you could almost say it's not really, it isn't even ideological. I mean, they're not even, they're not even intelligent enough in what they say to have a coherent ideology. It's really just they're warped control freaks. Um, and unfortunately, have gotten together and decided that they're just going to undermine. They are going to subvert everything that sort of has built American society uh, and the, and the, the sort of the cornerstones of it, which would be, you know, a, an education that gives you some kind of moral underpinning as well as knowledge and, and workable, um, you know, workable uh, knowledge to, to survive and to, to compete and to be on the same level with everyone else. Um, now, they're, they're, they're hobbling generations, and it's, it's such a disservice. And frankly, I think that – I mean it's to the point of they're being criminals because they're doing this. They're trying to go do it behind the backs of parents without the consent of the parents and frankly often against the parents' direct uh, ex, uh, express wishes or desires. So you know, I mean – and what they're ultimately doing is they're going to just – they're going to deconstruct the public education system as people just say, you know what? Screw this. I'm not – I'm not going to risk putting my kids into that cauldron of insanity, and they're going to be homeschooling. They're going to be choosing private school solutions, and believe me, there will always be a market solution that will rise up um, to to answer this BS. Just as we see, you know, like with um, social media and other things, you see that in media generally, um, you know, the, the the people who are in, who are sane, who are um, you know not buying into this um, insanity and and this nonsense and this like this hardcore ideology are just going to create their own solutions and they certainly have the resources to do it. And when it comes to their children, I'm sure they're going to step up, uh, you know, more vigorously than any other aspect. Whenever we talk about presidential or even national politics, some people call in and say stuff that's cynical. And I understand that, but I think that one of the areas it's people should not be cynical on. I see a lot of political change happening at school board level. That's where I see citizens making a difference. Do you agree that people can actually make a difference by going to school board meetings? Are you seeing the same thing, Tyler? 
Absolutely. No, they need to get engaged. And this has been the problem is that this idea of the public education system is just like, okay, you know, I pay taxes and that funds it. And I don't have to be engaged at all in my kids' education. You know, it's like it's it's become sort of this idea of daycare for their kids. And it just gives them, you know, the parents an opportunity. Well, obviously, a lot of them will have to work. You know, increasingly difficult. I mean, the word, you know, one income isn't enough. A parent can't just stay home and do nothing unless they're you know, really the, the the other parent is some sort of exe- you know high level executive in the top one percent. Um, and I'm I'm just reading these comments in the, um, the comment section here. And you know, nobody's saying that Marxism is equates into CRT or any of this stuff. What it comes down to is Marx saw the balkanization of society. Marx wanted to divvy up society and have groups warring against each other so that it could ultimately come down to the big showdown, you know, where the state takes over everything. So, you know, it's it's like it's just such a cheap little way of slicing and dicing into it. And as though when we say Marxist, we mean specific ideological tenets or or doctrines or theories that are being put out today no it's the general uh you know idea of marx and what he what he foresaw or or wanted to uh see happen to to societies i think it's worth pointing out that marx also believed that human nature needs to change to make communism work so you're talking about they deny human nature that's built into marxism too marxism literally believed the way people are now because you know, th- he believed humans need to change. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Tom? Well, they, you know, it's they, they believe man, man, they believe that humans can humans can somehow be perfected. You know, and I, I think that comes out of sort of the more Nietzschean, like the Uberman. You know, the idea that human nature can be can be uh, altered. You know, according to no, what these Tyler, utopian the, ideological the, uh, underpinnings are. In the last few seconds, and great conversation. Thanks for coming on today. You talked about homeschooling briefly. I believe that homeschooling, one thing they should teach is alternate history. So, Tyler, in the last few seconds, hit us with three books you think are good reading on the JFK assassination off the top of your head. Oh, my God. Uh, JFK and the Unspeakable. Um, I would say Best Evidence by David Lifton, if you want to go back years, and then Mark Lane's. Uh, one of the Mark oh gosh, I can, the name's not six seconds in Dallas. Um, there are so many. I mean, I'm I'm doing injustice to a number of books. Um, I would say also LBJ, the man who killed Kennedy, by Roger Stone. Yep, that's right. So, Tyler Nixon, great recommendations and thanks. I put you on the spot there, and you succeeded. Great conversation with Tyler Nixon and also with Jamal Thomas. We are the show that brings you a wide variety of viewpoints from the most interesting people. And we will be back tomorrow on The Backstory.